This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. That is our prayer, that we would be in tune to God working in our lives constantly, whether we see it or not. In fact, that's a good question for you this morning. When you woke up this morning on a scale of one to 10, 10 being obvious and, and one or zero being not obvious, how in tune were you to thinking God was actively working in your life to prepare you for salvation or to prepare others for salvation that you might bump into? How aware or in your mind were you thinking that God was presently working in your lives and others today? It's our desire to be in tune with what God is doing, whether we see it or not. We sense that God is always working in our church, through the lives of people in our, communi- in our community, as well as our congregation. In fact, this last weekend was a historic weekend for Calvary Bible Church. Yep, really was. We know God's always working. We don't always see it. But when you get to see what God's doing, it's awesome. And last weekend, about 300 people came through our Thornton campus. We want to just show you a little video of the highlights from last weekend. How many of you are in this room for the very first time in your life? Just raise your hand. All right. Welcome. So over the last six months, there's been a team of people who have been remodeling, refurbishing this building. The building is one thing, but the mission is what it's all about. And it's up on the wall here. We are building Christ-centered communities of people who are fully devoted to loving God and loving others. That's the heart and soul of Calvary. We want to be centered on Jesus. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we just want to be in step with Jesus all the way. And if we will, I think what God has ahead of us is even greater than what's behind us. Well, we are here today because of those who preceded us in our history, and we just want to be faithful to Christ today, to be Christ-centered. And we're going to open up a third community during COVID here at Thornton, Colorado. It's awesome. We want to do this. We want to make disciples. We just want to lead people to follow Jesus. We want to empower leaders to say, you know what? God wants to use me at Calvary Bible Church to do X, Y, Z. And we want every member at Calvary to feel like, I know what I do at Calvary to help accomplish that mission. We want to multiply churches, not just our church. We come alongside other churches in our community. We want to be a collaborative, supportive partner everywhere God's working. Okay, so we're going to ask God to bless what happens here. So let's stand together. Our Father in heaven, what a privilege to be at this moment in history. And we just pray that today the power of the Holy Spirit will be upon us. The work of God's grace will flow through all of us and every part that we will have in advancing your purposes at Calvary. And in this building, we pray that Jesus Christ will be exalted above all else, that his name will be declared and preached, that his gospel will be presented, and that hundreds and thousands of people will come to saving faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. We want your name to be exalted for your purposes to be accomplished. This is what we pray for in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, everyone said, Amen. Hey, we rejoice at what God's doing in Thornton, in Boulder, and Erie, and we just know he's working. Over the last 
couple of weeks, we've been looking back at the book of Acts and we've been celebrating a lot of the things that God has done. And in chapter eight, nine, and 10, you can clearly see God at work in bringing people to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to return to it. In chapter eight, it was Philip and uh, he was involved in God bringing the Ethiopian man to faith. Uh, last April, we looked at the Apostle Paul when God worked in his life fairly dramatically to bring him to salvation. And today, if you have your Bibles, let's open together to Acts chapter 10. If you've not had a chance to read through this text, you can push pause right now, read the whole chapter so that you get up to speed at everything that unfolds in chapter 10. Chapter 10 begins at Caesarea, and there was a man there named Cornelius. And we're introduced to a new person who is not a Jew. Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. He's the introduced character of chapter 10. What we know immediately is he's outside of the, the family of Israel. And not only is he not a Jew, he's an occupying force in the Roman army. He is a centurion. So the Roman army had a legion of soldiers, which was 6,000, um, a cohort of soldiers, which was 600. And then for every cohort, there were six centurions who were responsible for 100 men. That's Cornelius. So Cornelius is a man who's a leader. He's over other leaders. He's an occupying force, but he's seen in the nation Israel as a favorable man. He's a man of good standing. And part of that is because he's a God-fearer, and he's generous, and he's devout, and he's well-known to other people as a man who prays. So he's introduced as the one in whose life God is working. He has this vision uh, about the ninth hour of the day where he sees a vision of an angel who comes to him and uh, he says, Cornelius, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now I want you to send to Joppa and go look for a man named Simon, who's called Peter. And this begins the adventure of God working in Cornelius' life, responding to his devotion to God, and God's now gonna orchestrate another meeting working in Cornelius here and soon in Peter's life over there to get them together. Because what God's interested in doing is preparing people to hear the gospel, and that's what chapter 10's about. And Cornelius, we were talking about this earlier this week, is an interesting character because he's seemingly very successful, put together, prominent. A lot of these accolades that you've talked about being a centurion, he's a God-fearing man, would put him, as we would probably see him, as someone who has their life together. Um, oftentimes we think the gospel has to come to someone who, whose life is a dumpster fire yeah. or a train wreck. But here is someone who has their life relatively put together. He has a high position. Um, he has authority and influence. And even with God, he is a reverent man. Mm -hmm. He is. 
So you know that God works in all kinds of lives. Sometimes God's working around us to prepare us for the gospel uh, by an emptiness in our soul, even though we look put together. Sometimes he makes things crash around us and the world falls apart and we just say, oh, I need God. I actually had the privilege of doing a memorial service this week. I officiated a service for a young woman who died suddenly and I prayed about it all week, knowing that the people who would be coming to this memorial service would be crushed with a sense of loss and grief. And I knew that God was working. I knew that God was working in the hearts of people. You can go through all kinds of life experiences, but what we know is God's active, active and working. So God is going to work in this unfolding story to bring Peter into the life of Cornelius to share some news, which we'll get to in a minute. But God has to do something in Peter simultaneously. What's going on there? So if we know that God is always working, God is working to bring people into the family of God, we know that God is also working with those who have responded to his grace that needs to work out their own salvation. And so here, let's check out what happens to Peter. Peter is one of the ordinary men that we've heard about, one of those uneducated, unschooled people who have followed Jesus Christ. And so you have an ordinary man meeting probably an extraordinary centurion. But here it is in verse nine of chapter 10. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, those are those sent from Cornelius, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour. It's about noon, so lunchtime, to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. He's, he's having a vision. God is gonna reveal something to him. And in this vision, he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So here's this incredible, miraculous vision that Peter sees. I love that God meets him at a moment, lunchtime, and takes the desire that Peter has for food to reveal to Peter God's desire for people. There's so much more than just food going on here. This is an illustration of God's heart for all people, all nations. And so what we see here are three categories of animals. So there's of animals, reptiles, and birds. This might harken back to the Genesis narrative of when God created all creatures according to their kinds. Animals that were on the land and the seas and in the air. Those who crawled and those who walked. So we're talking about all kinds of creatures. And he says, kill and eat partake in, 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 take into your body almost, like include them with yourself. And Peter says, by no means would I do this. Now, why is Peter doing that? Is because he's a devout Jew. And you know, from Leviticus chapter 11, there was an ordinance for God's people of foods, what was considered clean or unclean, what was acceptable to eat, what was unacceptable to eat. And Peter has never eaten these sorts of foods. In fact, these sorts of foods are representative of certain people that maybe he wouldn't even associate with or if he came into contact with them because they consumed these kinds of foods or had these sorts of foods in their homes. 
P Peter might become unclean. And then there would have to be this long ceremony, washing and cleansing to restore him back to the community. And so Peter, being a devout Jew, says, I'm not, I haven't touched those. I haven't eaten those. No way, Lord. And here God says, don't, don't call what is uh, common, what God has made common, unclean. And this is to point to a bigger picture about people. And so Peter gets it. If you scroll down to verse 28, after he meets back to Cornelius, we'll get to that in a second. He said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So this vision of animals is really to illustrate what God's heart is for people. And here in verse 34, Peter really gets it. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So here Peter has to have something worked out of him so that he can be used as an instrument to help bring someone into the family. And what this working out is really a racial prejudice yeah. towards Gentiles yeah. that Peter has held. And you think, okay, Peter has walked with Jesus all these days and watched his ministry. He's watched him, watched him care for Gentiles, walk through Samaritan villages. And still there's a work to be done here. Peter has yet to be convinced that God's love and heart is for all the nations, all the creatures. It's interesting if you go back, how many times does, does this vision show up? is three times. So this happens three times that God is calling him to kill and to eat. I find it interesting because if you remember Peter on the shores with Jesus, yeah. he's being restored back to God after his epic failure. And God has to remind him three times of his incredible love for Peter. And here, here now, God has to convince Peter that the love he convinced him that he has for him is also for them. God's great love that he demonstrated to Peter calling him back three times was not just for him, but for them. And Peter's now convinced when he says, truly, I understand. It doesn't mean that something was false and now it's true. He's saying truly, like, I, I fully understand or more fully grasp God's great love for all people. God has to work out of Peter this prejudice. Yep. It had to be hard to dislodge that. Uh, a, a good Jew wouldn't eat food that wasn't kosher. So leave it to God to have a, a good illustration about food to say, no, I made this. I made that. You may partake. And then Peter does get the message that this is really about uh, the way I think about other people. So, so fascinating to watch God working in Cornelius, giving him a vision God working in Peter, giving him a vision, and then bringing them together. And that's how the rest of the story sort of unfolds. Uh, and you go down to verse 32. Now Cornelius has sent people to get Peter, bring Peter back. And um, he says to Peter when Peter arrives at the house, now therefore we're all here in the presence of God and we want to hear everything that you've been commanded to tell us from the Lord. And it's like, serve it up. Tell us what we need to know. Um, and so Peter begins to open his mouth there. And he speaks. And what he's speaking is a message that Cornelius is anticipating that will bring his household salvation. Remember this, 
Cornelius is a devout man, and there's a message that he's anticipating. The message is to fill in or to clarify what Cornelius is missing, which is salvation. And so here in verse 34, when we, we see him, when Peter says, but in every nation, anyone, anyone, doesn't matter what your nation is, what your tribe is, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now that's, that's probably true of Cornelius. He's a man who fears God. He's a devout man. But yet there's a piece that he needs to be clarified on of where salvation comes from. And that's what we're gonna find at the very end here of Peter's apostolic teaching in verse 43. To him, all the prophets, that's Jesus, bear witness that everyone, this is the anyone, everyone who believes, not just fears God, but believes in him, Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So it's through the belief in Jesus that we are accepted because our sins are cleansed. Yep. So here's the crux. You have Cornelius, um, of whom Peter says, everyone who fears God and does what's right is acceptable to God. Which might beg the question then, well, is Cornelius saved already before Peter even opens his mouth to tell the commands? And the answer we would say is no, otherwise why would God send Peter to him to tell him more? And the more that Cornelius needs is in the verses that follow. So this is what we would say. God reveals himself when he's working. And Cornelius was a moral man. He was an upstanding, God-fearing man. But he was missing a piece of the true gospel of Christ that Peter's going to unfold to him. But God works in people's lives by increasing the level of revelation to them when they respond. We would say that Cornelius probably was living up to the revelation he had received from God. So he knew there was a God. The God of Israel was the God he was praying to. Um, he was devout. He was moral. He was being obedient to the things that he knew. He was living up to what he knew. And therefore, God opened the window further to share more revelation. This is a really important truth for every person in any state of life. When you respond to revelation that God gives in obedience and faith, God begins to reveal more. And as a warning, the opposite is also true. When you suppress things that God has shown or when we disobey the truth we know, oftentimes the window of understanding and revelation occurs. This is the whole story of Romans chapter one, by the way. Even though they knew there was a God, they did not worship him or give him thanks. And so God closed the window and gave them over. I don't know what revelation Cornelius had up to this point in his life, but it was enough to make him devout. But now God's going to take him a level further. And that unfolds in verse 36, where Peter says, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he's Lord of all. That parenthetic phrase is important. Remember, Peter's grappling with whether he can talk to this Gentile. And now he's saying, Jesus is Lord of all. 
You yourselves know, Cornelius, what happened throughout all Judea, beginning in Galilee from the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. God was with him. And Peter just recounts to Cornelius the life of Jesus, his ministry in Palestine, Galilee, Caesarea, everything Jesus did was well known to anybody who lived outside of Jerusalem. And he's saying, you know about that. That's the life of Jesus. But in verse 39, he begins to unfold the death of Jesus, what we would call the gospel truth about Jesus. So verse 39, we are witnesses of all that he did in the country of the Jews in Jerusalem. And they put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So there's the truth that Cornelius doesn't have yet as a devout alm-giving, generous centurion. He doesn't know the truth about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. What the Bible tells us is that that truth is the gospel. Paul delivered the gospel that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture and that he was buried and that he rose again, 1 Corinthians 15. Now, this is what Peter's explaining. We have a very small snapshot of it, but it is the truth that Cornelius is missing, the truth about who Jesus is. He goes on, not only is the one who lived a beautiful life serving people, he's not only the one who went to the cross and was buried and was raised, but he is the one in verse 42 who is going to be appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. And so here's a warning from Peter to Cornelius. This Jesus in his beautiful life and his substitutionary death is the one who will stand as the judge over every person, the living and the dead. God's working. You need to be aware of his working because all of us will either face Jesus as our deliverer or our judge. And this is the beautiful, poignant addition to Cornelius's good life of trying to seek God is the message of the gospel. And the prophets bear witness, verse 43 says, that everyone, and here's how it becomes personal, everyone who believes in Jesus, trusts savingly in Jesus, receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. That's how this salvation becomes personal. And it is for everyone. I love, if, if you underline in your Bible, verse 43, that everyone who believes. Because then you think back of all these animals in the, in the sheet that came down. They're all clean. Every person in the, in the world is welcome to come to Jesus. That's the point that, Peter is saying now. So just quickly, Revelation chapter seven, verse nine, there's a glimpse of the end of the age. And at the end of the age, you have this beautiful word 
Revelation 7, 9 says, after I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, every tribe, all peoples and languages standing before the throne of the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and they're all crying with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. God's always working and he wants to work in everyone and here is the unfolding of God taking salvation to the Gentiles. Yeah. It, it, it's so important to recognize that God's heart is for all people. And it's those who have been cleansed that are welcomed into the family, the diverse family of God. Jesus is really the door. God's heart is for the world and his son is the access point for anyone, everyone, to be able to come into the family of God. This is exactly what, what Paul tells to the church in Galatia. This is so clear. Galatians chapter three, verse 26. He says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith, not through their devout life, not through their birth or heritage or their race, but through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Therefore, there is, sorry, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Our oneness comes through faith in Christ Jesus, that, that baptism of being united with him. And that's exactly what we see next is the bringing in of Cornelius and his household into the family of God through the anointing of the Holy Spirit and baptism. At the end of chapter 10 here, verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, you can, you can see their hearts are awakened. They're believing this message. They're receiving this message. In fact, that's what Peter later tells the church and even the council in Jerusalem, that they received and believed. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, that's those who are of the Jewish faith, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. They can't believe it. That God's incredible love and his acceptance, his cleansing could even be for these Gentiles, those in whom they held some sort of animosity, enmity, hostility towards. That God was showing them, my great love extends to all peoples. And they respond by, well, should we be baptized? For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? It's almost like a, a reflection of what happened at Pentecost to those in Jerusalem. And we've seen in Judea and then Samaria. And now this is the ends of the world. And here we see an apostle present with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Right. So those of you who have been with us through the study in Acts, you know that Acts 1.8 said, you'll be my witness to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world. If you're paying attention, Acts chapter 2 is Pentecost in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 8, there is another um, experience of the Holy Spirit coming and speaking in tongues by the apostles being present with a second group of people, the Samaritans. And now we're in chapter 10, and it's a third group of people, the Gentiles, where they have a similar experience that the Jews had in chapter two and the Samaritans had in chapter eight. And I think it's the way God is unfolding his church in fulfillment of Acts 1-8 to a new group of people 
in the presence of the apostles by their leadership, that's what's happening here. I think that's important. There's one more event that happens in chapter 19 where there's one more group of people where you have people come to faith, the apostles are present, they speak in tongues, and those are the only four times in the book of Acts that that occurs. And I think it's because it marks the unfolding of the church going, as the Lord said, into all the world to preach the gospel. And bring them into the family with right. equality. As Paul says, we've been baptized into one spirit. That we didn't receive different spirits or dif- different amounts of the spirit, but that we received the same spirit and brought us into the same family. Have you not been baptized into the same family? And so here Peter just asks, is there anything that holds them back from being baptized? Now that's an important question because you have some from the circumcised party who are later gonna challenge this and say, yes, you have to be circumcised first, or there's a list of things you have to do first to be brought into the family. And here the answer is no, there's not. You don't have to go through any of these traditions, religious ordinances. Your faith in Christ alone grants you access into the family of God, evidenced by the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And so they were baptized. Yep. So there's a lot going on here. And I think there's one important point that we, um, we touched on, but we should probably camp on. God's always working to bring people into his family. He's preparing people to hear the gospel and respond to it. And he's working in our lives who already know him to get out of us those things that hinder the work he wants to do. For Peter, it was getting prejudice out of his heart. It'd be really important at this time in our history, in our place and what's happening in our world, to say the church must be the leader where we reflect that God has no bias against race or ethnic difference or cultural diversity or physical characteristics. God loves the world. And so there's just no place for Peter to look at Cornelius with a kind of prejudice and say the gospel's not for you. We must be the same in 2020 as the church to say there is just no place in the redeemed people of God who's, who's working to bring people from every tribe and tongue and nation to come to equal footing at the foot of the cross and find that there is a savior there. So let there never be any prejudice, any discrimination, any bias or hatred in our hearts for anyone, anywhere God so loved the world. So let me ask you, before we end, do you believe that God is always working to prepare people for salvation, to bring them in, to work out our salvation? Do you believe it? To see that this is the Lord's day, it's not our day, it's his, and we wanna stay in step with him. Are you someone like Cornelius that has some revelation of knowing that there's a God, that there's a creator, a designer behind all these things, and perhaps this is the clarity, the message that Cornelius received is yours today, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he can bring to salvation anyone and everyone who believes in him and turns their life over to him? Or are you already in the family and God is working out your salvation? And there is some form of prejudice in your heart. 
that has to be worked out so that you too can be used as an instrument to go and gather others. Remember, we are called and reconciled back to God to be commissioned and unleashed to be reconcilers with the message and ministry of reconciliation as though God was using us to make his appeal to the world. Let's take a minute and just pray for those things. And then let's discuss them as a group in our homes today. Father, thank you for the privilege of interacting around such an exciting text, a life-changing text. And I thank you that you're active in our lives. And I pray our hearts will hear your prompting and will be obedient to your voice. And I pray for anyone today who's sensing you working to lead them to believe in the work of Jesus Christ, the saving grace of a Savior who would forgive our sins. And I pray you'll open their heart to believe. In all of us, Lord, keep working out our salvation in us, that we will be the instruments of your grace to the world that needs you so. In Jesus' name, we all pray together. Amen.